Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have just deconstructed our public services, public health being chief among them. On top of that, we are now facing a pandemic at one of the most vulnerable moments of our economic and political existence. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. As millions of Americans are laid off and lose their health care, is there an obvious and readily available solution that a lot of the political and media elite are missing? Bernie's put this issue on the map, and I think people will continue to fight for it regardless. It's not going anywhere. I think this is the moment where we continue to drive because COVID-19 has made the case for us. That's my guest today, Abdul El Sayed, physician, politician, author, and advocate of single-payer health care. Nearly 50,000 coronavirus deaths and 22 million unemployed Americans later, is it now, finally, time to guarantee Medicare for all? Remember how over the past year we were told again and again, even by top Democrats during the presidential primaries, how Americans love their private health insurance, love their employer-sponsored plan, and it shouldn't be taken away from them. 149 million Americans will no longer be able to have their current insurance. I don't think that's a bold idea. I think it's a bad idea. If you go the route of my two friends on my right and my left, you have to give up your private insurance. 160 million people like their private insurance. We should deal with the tragedy of the uninsured and give everyone health care as a right. But why do we got to be the party of taking something away no, from people? No I don't understand why you believe the only way to deliver affordable coverage to everybody is to obliterate private plans, kicking 150 million Americans off of their insurance. Well, it turns out that it's not Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Medicare for All that's getting Americans kicked off their beloved private health care plans. It's the coronavirus, or at least the mass unemployment that's being caused by this pandemic and the federal government's mishandling of the pandemic. To be clear, more than 22 million Americans, 22 million, have filed for unemployment since President Trump announced a national emergency just over a month ago and social distancing measures and stay-at-home orders kicked in. Some economists suggest unemployment could reach 40 or even 50 million people within a few months. That's tens of millions of Americans losing not only their jobs, but their health care too. A reminder, if you really needed one, that it is dumb, extremely dumb, to tie your health care to your employment status, to whether or not you have a job. Which is not just a uniquely dumb thing to do, but a uniquely American thing to do. Other countries don't do this. They don't. Healthcare is treated as a right, not as a perk or benefit of employment. As an immigrant to the United States, I've got to say to the American listeners right now, the two craziest things about your country that most of us immigrants notice straight away are the batshit crazy gun laws and the batshit crazy healthcare system. You have too many guns and not enough healthcare. Now, guns is a topic for another show, but healthcare. As I say, I'm from the UK where we have cradle to grave universal healthcare, free at the point of use, defended and promoted not just by the Labour Party, 
but even by the Conservative Party, the current Conservative government that dares not question the social democratic progressive principles behind the hugely popular National Health Service, the NHS. Here's Prime Minister Boris Johnson praising the NHS after recovering from his own recent bout of COVID-19. The NHS has saved my life, no question. We're making progress in this national battle because the British public formed a human shield around this country's greatest national asset, our National Health Service. The NHS in the UK provides free universal health care paid for out of taxation, with a government that not only pays for services, but also owns the hospitals and employs the doctors. Now, even crazy Cuba-loving socialist Marxist Bernie Sanders isn't calling for that. Under his plan, the US government won't own the hospitals or employ the doctors, but they will pay for all the treatment for everybody. The government will be the single payer in the system hence the name, using your tax dollars to guarantee actual universal health care. So taxes go up, yes. But as Bernie repeatedly points out... Let us be clear what Medicare for All does. It ends all premiums. It ends all co-payments. It ends the absurdity of deductibles. It ends out-of-pocket expenses. Finally, people are waking up to the advantages of Medicare for All, the necessity of a single-payer system. I mean... It's sad that it took a global pandemic of tragic proportions to open people's eyes. But that's life, I guess. A recent morning consult poll found support for Medicare for All surging to a nine-month high, with a majority of registered voters, including a majority of independents, now saying they back it. But not everyone backs it. Joe Biden being Joe Biden, he's not budging. He doesn't think anything's changed. Here's what the former vice president and presumptive Democratic presidential nominee said about the coronavirus and the case for Medicare for All at the last debate he had with Bernie Sanders. With all due respect to Medicare for All, you have a single-payer system in Italy. It doesn't work there. It has nothing to do with Medicare for All. But hold on, Joe. In Italy, nobody has to worry about paying for health care. There aren't millions of people who don't have insurance and don't have access to a primary health care provider. People aren't staying at home in Italy because they're worried about the costs of going to a hospital. And it's not just about costs or expenses. In a pandemic like this one, a lack of universal coverage makes things worse. Listen to Stephen Shortell, Distinguished Professor of Health Policy and Dean Emeritus at Berkeley School of Public Health, who says, and I quote, The degree of financial coverage for healthcare is not an issue with regard to the initial outbreak of infectious diseases, but it can accelerate the spread to the extent that the initial people affected delay getting tested and getting their symptoms diagnosed because they lack insurance coverage or have no regular source of care. This is the added complication and challenge we have in the US, he says. Listen to the New York Times, which noted in its big deep dive into how South Korea flattened the curve that, quote, officials also credit the country's nationalised healthcare system as giving even people with no symptoms greater incentive to get tested. What's kind of amusing and ironic is that deep down, even Republicans know that Medicare for all makes sense. They do. I just want to read to you from the Wall Street Journal, April 3rd, quote, The Trump administration will use a federal stimulus package to pay hospitals that treat uninsured people with the new coronavirus as long as they agree not to bill the patients or issue unexpected charges. The story goes on to add, both would be barred under the administration plan and hospitals would be reimbursed at current Medicare rates. Free treatment 
reimbursed at current Medicare rates. Sounds kinda like Medicare for all, right? The problem, of course, is that in a crisis, people want to have coronavirus testing and coronavirus treatment done for free. No payments, no deductibles. But if you say, well, why not extend that to cancer treatment too? Why not extend that principle across the board? They recoil from it. They think that's mad, extreme, beyond the realms of possibility or practicality or affordability. And so there are so many myths, even in liberal circles, associated with the idea of Medicare for all, of single-payer healthcare. And today, especially as the pandemic rages on and the death toll mounts, I wanted to try and debunk some of them on this show, deconstruct this issue from every angle, and have on a guest who really knows this subject inside out. I'm delighted, therefore, to be joined by my good friend, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, who ran an inspiring but ultimately unsuccessful progressive insurgent campaign for the Democratic gubernatorial nomination in Michigan in 2018. He's now a CNN contributor and author of the new book, Healing Politics. But Abdul isn't just a respected progressive voice, he's a respected medical one, too. He's a former Rhodes Scholar, a former assistant professor in the Department of Epidemiology at Columbia University, and the former executive director of Detroit's health department. He joins me now from his home in Michigan. Abdul, thanks for coming on Deconstructed. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mahdi. Always good to chat with you, and Ramadan Mubarak to you and your family. To you too. Uh, You are author of the new book, Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic. And in there, you write about, obviously, pre the coronavirus, an epidemic of insecurity, you say, which makes healthcare crises worse in this country. What do you mean by that epidemic of insecurity? So what I mean by an epidemic of insecurity is what I experienced in traveling across the state of Michigan for 18 months and meeting people in their homes, their VFW halls, uh, their union halls. And no matter where I went, people were talking about the same set of uh, questions. And I I didn't expect this considering, you know, talking about different places, different demographics, places uh, as diverse as Flint and Detroit versus, versus Petoskey and the Upper Peninsula. Asking, you know, why do I not have health care in the richest, most powerful country in the world? Why does my kid's school look like it did 30 years ago? Uh, why is it that in a state defined by its fresh water that we can't offer fresh water to folks uh, for $400 a month sometimes when Nestle can bottle unlimited amounts for $400 a year? And, um, and what I came to appreciate is that we have an interlocking set of systems that have blocked people out, whether it's a lack of access to health care, a lack of access to, to quality housing, an economy more focused on providing capital for the very top rather than uh, access to a good job with a living wage at the bottom. And that epidemic of insecurity has left us battling over crumbs for fear of loss rather than coming together uh, to build out and reconstruct those systems so that they actually empower real people. And so I speak to both the subjective experience of this this disintegration of the systems of our lives and then also how it makes us feel and the political consequences thereof. And of course, the coronavirus crisis uh, exposes all of those interlocking systems of insecurity. That's absolutely right. So, you know, Matthew, I, I rebuilt a health department that had been shut down when the state imposed austerity on the city of Detroit. You think about the fact that Detroit is now battling this pandemic with a health department that's functionally five years old in a city that's been around for centuries. And it's emblematic of the fact that we have just deconstructed our public services, public health being chief among them, uh, at least the one that we talk about so much right now, but it's not just public health. And then on top of that, right, it's not just the fact that, you know, we are now facing a pandemic that could have been contained 
it's that we are doing so at one of the most vulnerable moments of our economic and political existence. You have people who are on the slippery edge of economic viability uh, before this pandemic who have just been knocked off, being forced to choose between saving their lives and staying home or saving their livelihoods and going out and working. And this is the circumstance that millions of Americans find themselves in as a function of this system that has created this epidemic of insecurity. Bernie Sanders, uh, who you backed in the primaries, uh, he may be out of the presidential race for the second time in four years, but his signature policy proposal, Medicare for All, single-payer universal health care, is now very much mainstream inside the Democratic Party. It had majority support, I think, in almost every Super Tuesday state where there was an exit poll done. That's right. Uh, public support for Medicare for All post the coronavirus is at a nine-month high. Um, do you think this is the moment it goes mainstream? I think it's been mainstream. I think, um, you know, one of the signatures and hallmarks of Bernie Sanders' run, as you said, was Medicare for All. But one of his lasting legacies will be that he also took this uh, idea that had been seen as, you know, too far left before he ran on it and just infused it into our national psyche. It is the standard to which all other healthcare proposals are held, and rightly so. It takes on a lot of the source of the rot in our healthcare system, a healthcare system that locks out 10% of our population as it stands, and then has left us fundamentally uh, incapable of dealing with this pandemic at scale, whether it's the fact that you're watching hospitals have to fight both COVID-19 on one hand and then bankruptcy on the other because they had to cancel all of their most lucrative elective procedures. And in this for-profit system, they cannot stay open without that that money flow. Uh, the fact that, you know, just-in-time supply chain may be great if you run a Starbucks. It's not so great if you're stocking masks and PPE for healthcare workers, and it's left yeah. uh, our healthcare workers almost naked on the front lines. It's not so great when you think about the fact that we only spend about two and a half percent of our healthcare budget on prevention in the first place, because of course, in a for-profit system, the way that money is made is after people get sick. And so Bernie's put this issue on the map, and I think people will continue to fight for it regardless. It's not going anywhere. I think this is the moment where we continue to drive because COVID-19 has made the case for us. So as you say, uh, this is the moment to carry on fighting for it. Uh, in a fight, there's two sides. There'll be people fighting back. There are already a lot of myths and, and misinformation that surround Medicare for all. Uh, but there are also some legitimate good faith objections to it, queries about it, concerns with it. You're a physician. You're also a progressive politician. This is your subject in so many ways. So I was hoping today that you could make the case uh, for our listeners, explain to them what the best answers are to the most common questions the most common objections to Medicare for all, which come not just from Republicans, but from top Democrats too, from the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden. So right now, I want to throw some questions at you just as a devil's advocate for the sake of argument. Let's do it. For you to try and address and rebut. And just, I know there's going to be people saying, why is Mehdi Hassan echoing right-wing tropes? That's the point. We're doing a, it's an exercise to see what the answers are, to see what the best responses are. I think it would be useful. So let's start with the classic question, Abdul, which drives me up the wall. But again, for the sake of argument, I'll ask it. How are we going to pay for it? Medicare for all isn't cheap. Some studies suggest Medicare for all could cost, could cost between 32 and $34 trillion over the next decade. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the, the simple answer. 
is that we have corporations and we have extremely rich people, billionaires in our society who pay uh, lower effective taxes than you and I do. And in asking them to pay their fair share, part of that is paying into a Medicare for all system. But part of that is also that we will pay for it. And this is a, a good that we're asking government to provide for us. The traditional way that we pay for government goods is through taxes. But I want to flip that question on its head just because I think the premise tends to assume that nothing is taken off the table. Well, we're going to we're already paying for our healthcare system as it stands. In fact, we are paying more per capita yes. than any other country in the world for healthcare in America, and we're paying for it in ways that leave us deeply insecure. It's not just that we pay premiums, but the average person doesn't pay down their deductible, that amount of money that you have to pay for before the insurance you already paid for it kicked in until May 19th. That means that functionally the healthcare you paid for is behind a paywall for half the year. And so we're already paying for it. We pay for it in co-pays. We pay for it in deductibles. And of course, we pay for it in premiums. And on top of that, we end up getting care that is substandard if you get it at all, because of course, 10% of people are locked out. So every dollar in the healthcare system, no matter what system you're talking about, comes out of somebody's pocket. The question is whether or not we want all to pay for it equitably, or we want to continue to allow some of it to go to corporate CEOs and allowing those who profiteer off of it to continue to take too much off the top. So just to be clear, obviously, corporations, billionaires should pay more. I think Bernie talked about a financial transaction tax on speculation as well. But you're saying as well, like Bernie did, the average voter's taxes will go up as well. Elizabeth Warren struggled to say that during the primary. She would only ever say that your costs overall will go down. Bernie said he, they will go up. He's not quite sure the exact figure, but they are going to go up for average people. Yeah, your taxes would go up, but your healthcare costs overall would go down. The amount that you pay out of pocket for healthcare and in premiums is substantially higher than what the taxes would be. In response to that, right, the overall cost of healthcare also goes down. And I just want to be really clear about that. Right now, we have for profit insurance companies who take 15% off the top of every dollar we pay for in healthcare. If they're not run for profit, those 15%, that is their profit margin, the CEO salary, the advertising costs, they go away. So the overall pot of money is lower, which means that our costs go down and it's divided more equitably because it's shared across in a more progressive way between those who make the most and, and the rest of us. Okay. That's the costs. Uh, what about the politics? How do you get Medicare for all through Congress? Because forget Republicans, most Democrats in the Senate are not on board with it. Less than one in three of them signed on to Bernie's Medicare for all bill last year. And you're never, ever going to get people like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema on board, are you? Well, I'll tell you this. It, it can't just be the policy. It has to be the policy and the politics. And there's a reason why uh, Bernie, who ran on Medicare for all, also called himself uh, the presumptive organizer in chief not just the commander in chief. And the reason for that is because it is almost impossible to take on the money people who have a vested interest in our healthcare system as it stands. Remember, Mahdi, the, the single biggest lobbyist per sector is the pharmaceutical industry. And then after them is the insurance industry. These folks spend a lot of money to keep the status quo. But the only way to take them on is if you have a coalition of people who come together across their various interests and drive it forward. It is the coalition of nurses and doctors who uh, more than 50% support single-payer health care now. The, the uh, argument is and, that's not going to get you 50 senators. It, I mean, it could if you put enough people pressure on them. 
right? I mean, I'm just saying that like it is not, if you get enough people calling uh, a Senate switchboard, there's a real possibility uh, to move votes. And you're right, probably with this Senate, it's not going to get you 50 senators. But part of the goal here is also to help elect 50 senators who are already there. And and in that respect, this is a long game project. And I do want to be clear about this, right? The the idea that somehow we were going to get Medicare for all the day Bernie Sanders took office, you know, even Bernie would never say that. Um, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go go off on on a tangent, I just got to I just got to pick up. A lot of people did suggest it would happen right at the start, and in fact, they attacked Elizabeth Warren for saying it would take a couple of years. Kamala Harris for saying it would take a decade. Uh, the, some Bernie supporters and Bernie did imply that they, this could be done right at the very start of a Bernie term. I will say that there's a lot that you could do in terms of teeing it up. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Uh, by executive order. But to actually pass the legislation that you would need to get it done, it would have been exceedingly hard to do with the Senate the way it looks. That being said, again, right, our job is to push the politics that elect the politicians that are willing to finally be accountable to the people rather than the corporations who have dominated this uh, system for so long. So you talk about the people. The polls show, don't they, that Medicare for All has majority support with the public, but when you tell voters they won't be able to keep their private insurance and when you tell them that their taxes will go up, even if you say costs will go down, polls show that support then starts to fall. But then polls also show that it goes right back up when you tell them that they can keep their doctor. And here's the challenge with healthcare generally is that it's exceedingly complex, right? The doctor that you go see is paid in reimbursements from the insurance company that you may or may not have. And the hard part is that a lot of folks don't appreciate where one institution starts and the other one ends. And so when you tell people, you're right, that they might lose their current health insurance, support goes down. You tell those same people that they're going to be able to keep their doctor, which is true in Medicare for All, and I'll explain why in a second, their support actually goes up beyond where it was at baseline. And the reason why you get to keep your doctor under Medicare for All is because you don't have some insurance company gatekeeping what doctor you can and can't see because they're in network versus out of network. How often have you had the circumstance, Mehdi, I know you're from the UK, right, where you walk into any doctor's office, you see the doctor, where, you know, you try and go see a doctor who's recommended to you by a friend, you realize that they're out of network, which means that your copay goes through the roof, which means that they can't really refer you to some other doctor that you need to see for follow-up. And this is the labyrinth that people live with all the time. And so people get afraid when you say they're going to lose anything, again, because of this epidemic of insecurity, that they just say, okay, fine, no reform. But when you clarify and you say, listen, you get to see the doctor you want to see, even if you may lose your insurance, I think people get a lot more secure with that proposition. Okay. 
So we've talked about the politics and economics of it a bit. Let's talk about the actual healthcare implications. People say, okay, access goes up under Medicare for All, but quality goes down. Uh, Single-payer systems like those in the UK, where I'm from, or in Canada, they hold down costs by limiting the availability of doctors and treatments, even for serious life-threatening diseases like cancer, heart disease. You have very long waiting times in the UK. It's a huge problem there, as you know. Huge controversy. How do you stop that from happening here? Yeah, I'll say I'll say two things. Um, number one, the ultimate outcome of whether or not a healthcare system works is in length and quality of life. And if you look at Canada, for example, which is really close to where I am right now, they have a single payer healthcare system. They live on average two years longer than we do. They're happier with their system and they pay 60% as much for it. And so if it's a system that you're happy with that keeps you alive two years longer, it's a good healthcare system. I'll also say this. One of the challenges that we have is that traditionally conservatives always like to throttle the amount of funding that goes into public systems and then blame public systems for failing. That's been the experience that you've seen both in Canada and in the UK. Yes. And so they'll point to these systems and say, well, look, see, the, the, the public system doesn't work. And I think it's, it behooves us to point back and say, yes, a public system that has been choked off from the resources that it needs to function so that you could make the argument for privatization may not function as well as it ought to. But that's like choking me and saying, well, see, he doesn't talk so well. Yeah. No, and you're, you're completely right on that. But on the other hand, I think even, you know, even quote unquote bipartisan neutral health economists would point out a simple reality, which is the UK rations uh, by limiting availability with waiting times, with not getting instant access. The US, you have quicker access, but it rations by basically cutting off loads of people from the system. But there's always going to be rationing. And we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Healthcare is a limited resource. It is impossible to provide all the possible healthcare to everyone at the same time. It's impossible. That being said, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we make decisions, the best decisions that meet our values about how we allocate this scarce resource? And I would rather live in a society where everyone who has a heart attack gets a heart attack care, everyone who has diabetes gets diabetes care, than in a society where some people just don't get any health care no matter what, but maybe I get to cut to the front of the line if I need to you know, get my ACL repaired or I want um, a dermatologic procedure. I'll just also say one last thing on this point. The hard part about our system is that it's always with reference to what to the worst stories we hear about everywhere else. Yes. And so you'll talk to folks and they'll say, well, I had a cousin and that cousin had to wait in line and I don't want to have to wait in line. The fact is, is that sometimes in doing that, we discount our own experience. The average wait time to see a cardiologist, Mahdi, a cardiologist in America um, is, is uh, over a month if you're, if you're a new patient. Cardiologist, I mean, this is somebody who's treating your heart. Like I, basically the two most important organs in your body are your heart and your brain, right? And if you can't see a heart doctor in time, that's a real challenge. And on top of that, there have been studies that have shown that the consequences of having to worry about whether or not you can pay down a deductible or a copay actually limit or extend the time at which women who have breast cancer will, will get their breast cancer diagnosed and treated. And that has long-term consequences for their mortality in that experience. Wow. And deductibles in America are just going up and up and up. And so functionally, what that means is that in our system, even if you have private health insurance, you're behind a paywall. That paywall has consequences for your waiting in line. And it means that Americans are waiting in line too. Okay. But the question is for what? And so in America, no matter what, you're waiting in line for whatever it is that you need, if you can't pay, rather than waiting in line for those things that are less urgent. 
But critics would say you're waiting in line. You said for what? They would say you're waiting in line for better care. You know, cancer outcomes, for example, are better in the United States than they are in the UK. That's a fact. That is a fact. It's conditional on getting cancer care. And so what are we missing in terms of all of the undiagnosed disease? Because people just don't go see a doctor. If you have access to healthcare, which is a big if, and it's dwindling every day, then yes, you'll get great care in America. The problem, though, is that on average, right, you don't really have the same kind of access as you might in the UK or Canada. And so that's why they live two years longer. Again, yes. you know, the backstop which, which, which of a question Which goes to your point about system. anecdotes taking on the worst case scenarios rather than, as you point out, the averages. People don't like averages. Okay, let's deal with the next uh, objection, the next concern. What about the fact that according to a big New York Times investigation last year, if Medicare for All abolishes private insurance, as Bernie Sanders said it would, and reduced all rates to Medicare levels, which are often less than half of what private insurers currently pay for treatments. Quote, some hospitals, especially struggling rural centers, would close virtually overnight, and others said the Times would, quote, try to offset the steep cuts by laying off hundreds of thousands of workers. That would be really bad, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of a misnomer um, that the reimbursement rates are going to be exactly what they are for Medicare. Um, and in, in but you would accept plan, Medicare reimbursement rates are much lower than what we have right now. Oh, no doubt. And, and that's actually a really big problem. I mean, part of the problem that we have, again, with public insurance programs, no matter what, is that they tend to be underfunded. And so under Medicare for all, the choice of what we reimburse is not fixed. And so this, this notion that somehow we're going to go to Medicare reimbursement rates automatically because the program's called Medicare for all just seems to lack a bit of an imagination about what you can do when you're the only payer. In fact, I've got a book coming out on Medicare for all in February, and we make a lot of arguments about the fact that actually you should not have fixed reimbursement rates. Reimbursement rates in rural communities, for example, or underserved urban communities should actually be higher, right? Because the rate of serious illness in a lot of those communities, because they've been so underserved, is so high. And second, because you want to get doctors and hospitals and clinics to locate there to take care of those folks. And so you can do a lot in terms of changing reimbursement rates. Here's the other problem with reimbursement rates as they're set. They tend to be highest for the kinds of elective procedures that we're seeing got canceled in the middle of this pandemic, leaving hospitals facing bankruptcy. And so why is it that we are reimbursing uh, things like dermatologic procedures, which some may be necessary, but others may not be, at substantially higher rates than we're reimbursing other really critical services like just so you're in, saying, in You're saying, uh, change, you're saying change the whole reimbursement system. Don't just assume it's going to stay the same. Exactly, right? And any responsible Medicare for all system would change the reimbursement system. It okay. has to. Next up, what about private insurance? What is the reason for getting rid of it completely? During the debates, we saw some Democratic presidential candidates who say they support Medicare for all saying, no, but we don't want to get rid of all private insurance. Even in the UK, the NHS exists alongside supplemental private insurance for those who can afford it, for those who want it. And right now, the majority of seniors on Medicare, I believe, also have some form of private insurance too. So if you're going Medicare for all, if you're following a UK single payer model, uh, why get rid of private insurance? It's not necessary, is it? Yeah. So a, a couple of points. There are a lot of different ways to think about how private insurance may or may not operate. The bills that have been proposed, they would actually do away with only that private insurance that competes with the public system. And the reason why is because you end up creating a two-tiered system, right? For those who have the means, they end up going to the private system, which tends to shunt the lower income. And usually because of all kinds of bad things in our society, the sicker people into the public system. And when you do that, it raises the cost of the public system. Because of course, an insurance system is really just a balancing act. You want enough 
of the less sick, less expensive people in the system to be able to balance out the more sick, more expensive people. And when you start siphoning off those who are richer, who tend to be less sick and less expensive, you end up leaving the public system more sick and more expensive. And of course, we know what are Republicans going to do with that information? They're going to point to that public system and say, see, it's bloated, it's inefficient. Well, no, actually, it's that the private system has cherry-picked all of the least expensive, least sick patients. What about the last question on uh, Medicare for all? What about the argument that says, and Joe Biden said a version of this too, the argument that says, if not having Medicare for all has supposedly made the coronavirus crisis here in the US worse than elsewhere, say the critics, how do you explain the massive crises and death tolls from the virus in countries like the UK, Italy, Spain, which do have some form of single payer? Again, I just think this is a cherry-picked argument, right? Because then I can also point to South Korea and say, well, look, they were one of the world's best response and look what they have. They have a very similar system and they were able to do what they did because the public system kicked in and saw what was coming in advance and took it on. But it didn't help the Italians or the Brits or the Spanish. That's their argument. Right. But like my, my, my other point is also, since when did we start comparing ourselves to Italy? Right? I'm like the, the only time I've ever compared ourselves to Italy is, is, you know, when it comes to like quality of food and yes, Italy wins, but this is just a cherry picked comparison to pick one example that tends to fit an argument that you wanted to make in the first place and then held us accountable. We are the richest, most powerful country in the world. We are not Italy and nothing against the Italians. They just don't have the means that we have. They don't have the size that we have and they don't have the relative governing functionality that we have. Like, let's say we were to compare our military to Italy's. Right. And we'll say, well, look, well, let's just let's just let's just say, look, we want to be just like Italy. Let's scale down our military so that it works like Italy's. And I think the same folks who are making that other argument would be up in arms and say, no, we're the United States of America. We have to be a strong, uh, a strong military on the world front. You've just reminded me of another argument often raised, and I'll throw it at you now as a kind of PS. Uh, You said we're the biggest, strongest, most powerful country in the United States. There's an argument that says, okay, single payer, fine. It works in countries like the UK or Italy or South Korea with small populations. It can't work in a country with so many people. The point that I'll make is that what we have right now isn't working in a country with so many people. And it's not working because it systematically excludes the poorest and the most marginalized. It fails us in moments like this when we're facing a real pandemic because everything's focused on a profit margin. And we waste a huge amount of money paying CEOs major salaries. And so my point is, is that, look, what we have right now isn't working. And as the richest, most powerful country in the world, shouldn't we be doing something about it? We're watching as every other high-income country in the world, every single one, has some system of government health insurance. What would ours look like, right? What would the American system look like? Because I know I'm from a country uh, where we take pride in doing what we do better than anyone else. And so what would it look like if we finally decided that our collective will should mean uh, that we surpass the profit motives of CEOs of major corporations and decide that we're going to do this for our people? Okay. Just before we finish, uh, let's talk Bernie Sanders. You were a big Bernie supporter. You're close to him in his campaign. You were on CNN as a surrogate for him. How disappointed were you when Bernie Sanders announced he was suspending his campaign? I mean, deeply disappointed. And I, and I think it, it's not just disappointment. It's also just pain and frustration, especially considering the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And you look at all of Bernie's policies and they map pretty damn closely to all of the things that we either are doing or should be doing uh, to take care of people in this moment. And you ask, what would a Bernie Sanders presidency mean for the future that we built? 
around protecting us from something like this in the future. And so that that's hard. And I come to my politics not out of ideology. You know, a lot of folks will point to me and say, well, you know, you, 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 you say specifically that you're not a socialist. I'm not a socialist because I just don't, I don't think ideological tags matter. I come to my policy by thinking about what it would mean for the people I got to serve when I was health director in the city of Detroit, low-income people all over our country who have been marginalized into those situations of poverty. And so, you know, th- that's why I'm so devastated. That's why I'm so frustrated. But unfortunately, um, but a, lot time, of, a lot of low-income uh, working class voters in the primaries, at least, didn't vote for Bernie Sanders. They voted for Joe Biden. In your state, I think he lost every county in Michigan. Why do you think he lost? Where did it all go wrong for Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I'll say a couple things. Um, number one, uh, you know, we, we started our conversation today talking about an epidemic of insecurity. And if my hypothesis is correct, that we are approaching our politics from a place of deep anxiety about the future, Joe Biden is the political equivalent of a security blanket, right? You, you remember him eating ice cream, wearing his aviators in the yes. eight years with Barack Obama. And he seemed like a safe choice. And I think for a lot of reasons uh, to, to voters, he was. And so I'm, I'm never going to be in a situation where I'm blaming voters for what happened. But I do understand the anxiety of this moment. And, you know, I know that when I'm really anxious, sometimes I just I want to sit under my, my blanket in my bed. Um, uh, and I think in some respects, Joe Biden was that choice. The second point I'll make, though, is that I think that we take for granted how quickly we've gotten where we are with Bernie Sanders' leadership. And real change takes time. And so, you know, I hate to tell folks who are who are suffering and struggling right now that we have to be patient, but we do have to be patient. That these ideas have have exploded onto the onto the scene and they've made such incredible headway. But there's more work to do. I can't help but note that you didn't say he d- he's done anything wrong. You basically said people voted for Biden as a security blanket and things take time. So you don't think that Bernie campaign got anything wrong. You wouldn't you wouldn't go back and do um, something differently. I ran for governor in Michigan, and uh, the experience of, of running a campaign is like perpetual failing. Like if you're doing well, you're just failing a little bit better tomorrow than you did today. Um, and so, you know, every campaign could do a better job. I think the interval change that we have made in our society around critical issues like climate change, around healthcare, around the firewall that's deeply broken between corporations and our government, that interval change has been incredible. And so while there are a lot of things that you could point to and say this could have been done better and that could have been done better, of course, I think we take for granted just how far we've come over the five years of, of Bernie Sanders in, in on the national political stage. And will you be voting for Joe security blanket Biden in the general election? I will. And look, and you and I both come from a community that has been deeply marginalized by this president. And yes. for me, it's not even just only about the experience of being Muslim in America and what it means to raise my... Uh, ethnically half Egyptian, ethnically half Indian daughter in this country. But it's also about low-income folks in in a community like Detroit where the rate of COVID-19 deaths has far surpassed any other community in Michigan. Those folks deserve that we will spend the next four years arguing and fighting for Medicare for all rather than arguing and fighting so that the ACA doesn't get repealed. And so, you know, I would rather spend the next four years working to drive progress, even if that president doesn't perceive or engage progress the same way I would have liked with Bernie Sanders, rather than fighting to keep what we have against a a bigot, a xenophobe, 
and an incompetent man who has leveraged government for his own well-being and the well-being of his cronies rather than for the well-being of all of us. I mean, we're sitting in the middle of this global pandemic because of government incompetence, because of Donald Trump. And so I just think it would be selfish of me to say, well, you know what? I didn't get my way, so I'm going to take my ball and go home. And like I told you, I come to my politics not because of my ideology. I come to my politics because of the people I feel I have a responsibility to serve. And for them, they are well better off under a President Joe Biden than a President Donald Trump for another four years. Abdul El Sayed, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. That was Abdul El Sayed, progressive politician, doctor, cable news pundit, and the author of the new book, Healing Politics. Abdul's right, there's an epidemic of insecurity. And it'd be tragic if that insecurity continues to be exploited for right-wing, not left-wing causes. I mean, you have Americans dying who shouldn't be dying. You have Americans from minority communities dying at higher rates than the rest from COVID-19. You have millions of people losing their jobs, and with those jobs, their health care. If there was ever a better time for Medicare for All, or when the argument for it was obvious and staring us all in the face, I can't think of one. To borrow from that famous saying, if not now, when? That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much to those of you who are Muslim and listening. Ramadan Mubarak. To all of you listening, see you next week and stay safe. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.